Hello everyone. Welcome to Recast and I'm your host Saurabh Sardana. World around us has changed and recasted in a way that is difficult to imagine. It has become more complex and for some overwhelming. This podcast series is the result of my hunger to inspire individuals and companies to unlock growth value through the power of understanding societies and consumers. It's not the ideas but those who make ideas work will stay ahead. So I will dig into the untold stories and unfiltered content from people who have made these ideas work for them. Stay tuned. If we have to pinpoint one thing that has brought maximum impact to politics, businesses and communities around the world, it'll have to be the proliferation of media channels. With this shift the role of media planner has changed significantly forcing them to reimagine how media has to be planned for brands and organizations my guest today is somebody who went on from selling carbon black to planning media for his clients and now is a partner at entropia global which is a marketing technology consultancy based out of malaysia welcome to my show rama thank you soro for having me it's a pleasure to be with you you've had a very interesting career graph i think right from selling a commodity which is carbon black now you know to selling experiences through technology why don't we just kick this off by understanding a little bit more about you and then we'll just continue with the discussion today yes and that's something which i'm sort of pretty proud of in terms of the way that i have changed uh, from a geek with numbers to somebody who is managing tons of creative work at the moment uh, but to give you a sense about myself in a very short way i am an engineer in india everyone first becomes an engineer and then figures out what they want to do later but in my case i really loved engineering and i enjoyed the whole process and after engineering went into brand management in india did my post graduation there and then started off as a sales and marketing guy for a multinational in india and with sales and marketing it was a lot of travel a lot of uh, moving around and obviously meeting a lot of people towards the end of my stint in the sales and marketing the last stint was what you mentioned was actually selling carbon black now i'm not sure and actually i'm pretty sure that nobody knows what carbon black is but carbon black is one of the essential ingredients that goes into everything that you're using the person who is listening to this would be using on their phones on the tires the cars they drive and so on and so forth so this is an essential ingredient but it is a commodity and i used to sell that commodity in europe so i was based out of egypt and traveling to europe and uh, selling it to europe across western and eastern europe and that probably sort of gave me a reason to understand people more because selling strategies to a german versus a russian versus a ukrainian or versus a bulgarian would be very different to a parisian all right and all these things required me to understand them in depth and make the sale happen because obviously that's what my job was and uh, over a period of time i gathered means i did it for about 6 years and then moved to malaysia to a media agency and my role was to be a director of research and consulting it was a dramatic 180 degree shift and it was something which was very interesting as an opportunity and uh, it took me all my learning from all the years from engineering to brand management to you know the sales to make sure that this shift happens in the best possible way while there in malaysia when i came in and i'm still here it's 12 years ago i came into malaysia and 
from a media agency selling media plans and making you know millions of uh, dollars of money and doing the touchpoint planning and allocations for people uh, for various brands we went into adding multiple services into the portfolio offering brands creative services digital services social media services and so on and so forth but in the last 4 years is where we have actually added multiple services to the whole ecosystem and now i would call myself a true a master of many things probably a specialist of none at the moment because Uh, the whole world and the whole industry is moving towards a situation or towards a area where specialization is probably highly overrated at the moment if i may say so it's because that a media planning speciality or a creative speciality or a research speciality or a digital speciality all of them need to come together to work for a brand and that is what is my current role where i'm offering all these things and it's very exciting actually managing a very large team at the moment but the humble beginnings was by selling something like carbon black or a cement back in those days in the early part of 2000 rama i have to ask you this question how does one go from selling carbon black to becoming a researcher in malaysia can you elaborate that for our listeners i think you've engineered that perfectly i think you made that shift at the right time possibly i mean data has exploded and i think we'll talk about that more in our upcoming segment but just just help us understand i am very curious how does one do that so i would say that it was not a means i have to admit it is it wasn't a planned thing it wasn't as if that i wanted to make that move it was by pure chance that this happened the company in malaysia was hiring somebody and the ceo of the company was my alumni was alumni of the same college and we got to know each other and then he got me in and believe me i didn't know exactly what i was getting into but as i said things when things happen you need to make the best out of it after coming to malaysia getting to the research role first research consulting role meeting the clients who are malaysian and not knowing about malaysia at all means i'm moving from egypt to malaysia that shift it happened by chance but if i look at it in terms of how i made that as a success is something purely because of my genuine interest in it because i really felt that i could do that job well and i could understand what is being taught what is being explained by uh, what is required by the clients and i would make sure that i was able to deliver on those things so it is i would say that it's a chance happening but a design process after that after coming in so rama when you moved across different roles from being a sales person for an mnc in europe to becoming a researcher in malaysia to selling media and i think getting into media planning and now sort of you know selling very creative experiences i would say one element that cuts across all these four roles is the importance of numbers and the importance of data being a sales guy you will have to report numbers back to the corporate being in research you just can't run away from numbers and now i think you know what we see with what's happening within media and creative industry i think the advent of technology and i think the introduction of technological processes within these two different domains i think that's also sort of making things very very exciting so i would say there are two shifts that have happened especially in the media business the first i think there is proliferation of a lot of platforms right 
probably 15 years back, things were simpler. You had a TV, you had a radio, you had an outdoor. But now I think, you know, you have chatbots, you have messenger chats, you have super apps. And I think, you know, you know, the whole world of technology is just getting more and more complex, right? And I think we keep hearing about, you know, advertising tech or ad tech, as they call it, where, you know, like a lot of creative ideas are sort of getting tested at at great speeds. How do you think this kind of a shift has impacted the role of a media planner? Because we know that, you know, programmatic is a big thing now. Everybody sort of falls back on that, you know, to buy and plan for their media. But you've sold media when programmatic wasn't even there. So how do you see your role has changed? And now how do you behave in a boardroom when you meet a client and advise them on the right media mix? That's a very, very interesting question, sort of. I think to answer that, let me just backtrack a bit in terms of how a media agency, typically the way we know media agencies in the last 10 years have come about. The Earlier in 1990s, anybody who remember that era would remember that there used to be only one agency and that used to be the creative agency, which every marketer will go to. And the creative agency would get the rest of the stuff arranged for the client, so-called. So let's refer it as a madman era, because that's a very good reference to bat on. In that era, the media agency or the media work used to be a backbencher work because you're just doing a sort of creating schedules and sending out booking orders and all that. It was a very lower down the value chain kind of. Uh, as the days progressed and we came into 2000 and 2010, particularly the second part of uh, second decade, that's when the fragmentation happened and most of the media agencies break broke away from the overall creative agencies and started on their own. And that particular shift happened because of that fact that you're talking about is data. The data was the key reason why this shift happened. There were many other reasons, obviously, but data would be one of the reasons why, because the way that you could understand a consumer using data, using the tons of digital footprint that somebody leaves around when they explore or uh, entertain themselves, that understanding that data, understanding the patterns of usage, generating insights that work for the campaign and figuring out how a message and a medium can mesh together. That particular thing was the key part on why typically a media agency would have felt that we should be much higher the value chain and not taking, you know, orders down the value chain. So that's how it happened. And it went on very well for the last, I would say, 15 years, wherein media agencies across the globe, as a part of holding networks, they became the most happening the most profitable and the most consumers or users of data within a holding group. And media agencies would typically be at the forefront of a client or a brand discussion. And this I have experienced personally that after coming to Malaysia in 2008, from 2008, uh, you would say that Facebook was not even like as a bona fide medium, it was a you know new kid on the block and we didn't have TikTok, obviously. So right now, from that period till over 2012 to 2013, where digital transformation was being spoken about and people were investing into these mediums, we as media agencies became the gatekeeper for the entire marketing budget that would be put in and decide on which one works for the brand and which one doesn't work based on very hard data, right? And very hard numbers and 
obviously with tons of research that goes into actually uh, generating those insights and the numbers so the as a media agency or as a media practitioner uh, a planner in a media agency or a media strat planner there are various names that you can give them the core job is as an advisory job that it is almost like it's a banker's job it's an investment banker's job essentially you're taking your uh, money and making sure that your investment is working for you and the returns are high and you are agile enough to make sure that the things move around in the right way depending on how the landscape changes and as you rightly said earlier there were probably only four or five choices to move your money's between and things won't change uh, dramatically overnight it would take 6 months 7 months a year for any media to come up or a channel to go down but come 2010s 2015s we saw that no more the older way of media planning or the traditional way of thinking could work because right now what we are seeing is that you could actually see an impact of your commercials your ads your messaging test them and change it on the fly so with people like google and facebook rising in the 2012 13 that particular period they started bypassing agencies and going directly to the clients and giving them insights giving them real time analytics those were the things where media agency would typically be their domain essentially where they were deciding but with the advent of the cool ad tech as you would call it at that point the trendier option became google and facebook and that became a problem for many agencies also because think about it if you are there is an inherent conflict of interest if google is going to a client and saying that okay you invest in me and when they say that obviously it has to be taken with a pinch of salt but the data provided is so means it's compulsively sexy and uh, relevant to the brand that you don't have a choice you will end up spending majority in the platforms so for being relevant media agency typically a media agency would invest in more uh, data would invest in much more uh, proprietary research and figure out ways and means to make sure that there is a very third party agnostic way of planning and that was the thing which was the core of you know i would say that golden era of media planning where you would become the advisor of as an investment banker right now the choice is that okay from for a brand's perspective we don't get the entire budget as a media agency to plan for and it is divided amongst multiple platforms and there are the whole aspect about actually delivering on the objectives is getting a bit weaker as we progress and it is something which is a point of concern for lot of media practitioners in fact one of the things that which i feel is that media planning in the current state in the way that we know it is probably going redundant right right now you need to adapt and be on the forefront where media is one part of the equation there is an entire value chain in the marketing communication space and hybrid media planner or an integrated media planner or an integrated planner as we call it in our company is where you are able to pull in all the different bricks uh, like a lego system and bring them together because it's one brand that you're talking about it is no more 
a creative or a digital or a media or a BTL or, you know, events all has to come together and sort of ironically go back to the 90s where everything was under one roof. And that is what the challenge is because currently in the industry, the industry has not evolved to be integrated to that level. And everybody is now, if you look at the news, if you look at how the global holding companies are talking about and how S4 Capital has started and the way that they are speaking, it's no more uh, siloed. It is They are speaking about a full integrated offering. And thankfully, and this is, I'm very happy with how things are moving amongst the marketers. The marketers also are talking the language that we need one person to consult us. We need one strategy. We need one uh, approach. We don't need just execution, which masquerades as strategy in the overall scheme of things. So that's how I feel uh, mm. sort of we are in a flux right now. We are in a, in a state of transition. And this has been happening over the last four years. And particularly this year, 2020, might be the eventual tipping point to actually have marketers embrace the whole thing where it is not about digital, it's not about offline, online, it is all about one encompassing story for a brand. That's very interesting. I think, uh, you know, the point that you mentioned that probably the role of media planner will soon become redundant. I actually remember sharing a taxi ride with a, with a very young gentleman who was working with a very renowned media agency in Singapore. And I asked him that, you know, what exactly do you do? And he said that I first wait for the algorithm to give me what kind of media mix a brand should follow. And then I just use my gut to play around with that data so that I can fit all of that into client's budget. And I was, I was so surprised to hear that. And I think he thought that he had a very cool job because he was dealing with technology. He was waiting for the machine to tell him what that media mix could look like. And then, you know, he was just trying, you know, sort of making some changes, you know, to fit into client's budget. So I was so fascinated to hear that story from him. And you're absolutely right. I think, you know, that role very soon just might become redundant because I think probably machines will be able to do a better job in planning for media than what humans might have been able to do. Do you agree with that? Do you think that is it good that technology takes that over or you feel that the media planner still has a role to play in bringing the context on top of that data content? That's a very controversial question that you asked. That's a debate which frankly goes on in our circle, in our industry quite a lot. Because after all, if it's just numbers and if it's just automation and you can generate numbers and based on the numbers you can decide, then your job is no more in the next two, three years. That's clear. Anything that can be automated and generated any job. And in fact, uh, there was very recently, I think last year only, Alibaba said that they have created a AI bot that could write copy for campaigns. And that obviously sent, uh, I mean, it's not many people agreed with it in the creative community. And everybody said, oh, no, that's definitely not going to happen. You need the feel, you need the instinct, you need everything. But yeah, to be fair, if machine learning, you can get a bot to understand that by looking at millions and millions of communication and the input is right, the output may actually come out that bot can give you a better result. Similarly, a bot can probably or an AI uh, algorithm can give you a better plan. But having said that, my entire belief is that 
in this industry more often than probably an assembly line uh, kind of manufacturing facility we are about the human magic the magic that somebody brings in by marrying data technology and content right in that triangle now that's why if you notice that i have used that the term that media planning in the way that it exists will go redundant but that essentially means that everybody needs to evolve and that is non negotiable because if you are still thinking in the way wherein you are like the person you mentioned that i'm waiting for a number and based on the number i will fit it in obviously that's kind of role will no more exist but if you are putting in your own thoughts your own experiences and understanding that a channel allocation is just one part of an overall thing and the channel allocation has another 20 sets of decision making criterias that's where the role gets enhanced and that's what i mentioned about a truly integrated planner or an integrated strategy thinker is what is the future of our industry that's great so i think let me move to another very interesting question media planners use a lot of consumer data that data can be third party and we've seen that you know over the years the focus has also shifted to the first party data which is the business you know which is collecting data on its own customers through different touch points and i think we see that shift and that shift is quite evident there is a whole industry out there which is the market research business that would collect tons and tons of primary research data around media consumption around you know what kind of preferences their audiences would have which media channel is right at the top of their radar or their choice how do you see that industry contributing to media planning because i think market research industry more often than not has played the role of a data supplier on which media professionals would take a lot of important decisions and then you know market research industry would again come back and say let me run a market mix model for you to just tell you whether the investments that you had made did sort of you know pay out it actually had a good return the investments that you had made so how do you see the role of insights changing with now technology getting used more and more because i think once you follow a programmatic process you don't even need market mix models because the attribution is self evident and i think is sort of delivered to you through dashboards so where do you see this whole market research business going more from a media lens all right on this i have to actually take you back to a very simple story which is from my engineering days when i was 18 years old at that point being in the engineering college just getting in and we had started shaving and uh, shaving a few days in a week and it was a new experience getting regularly shaved getting into college and obviously you're meeting friends and girls and you're figuring out your social interactions uh, in a different setting at that point there was a point wherein there was this after shave lotion that was uh, in the market expensive stuff at that point which you could only use it could have experienced it only in a barber shop back in india and then it came in the market and it was there it was expensive but and i tried it once and expensive stuff so nobody we used to share it around so one day somebody means it asked this question as to why is the after shave market so not picking up in india and at that moment my first response 
based on whatever i read whatever i know and i was not a communication professional at that point but just based on my reading i would say yeah probably indians are more value conscious and therefore they have only invested in uh, x amount so an after shave is probably not something they want to invest because it's an expensive thing and and they will get the fragrance uh, from the whatever cologne or scent that they would buy and that's the reason why it's not picking up it was a very surface level understanding which is not entirely untrue obviously but then somebody said and i don't remember who within my friend circle they said hey in india people shave before a shower and in west people shave after showering and that is the primary reason why nobody wants to buy it i'm like wow that is so so clear because you are shaving pre shower that means that you put on the lotion you'll get the stinging feeling but the fragrance will go off because you're showering later but if you shave after shower the stinging feeling remains and the fragrance remains and you are going out and that's a very inherent behavior i'm sure Gillette and whatever companies that were coming into the market would have done tons of research around it and they couldn't probably pinpoint this reason because they were asking the questions to the people and expecting a response as to why you don't buy after shave and this is my hypothesis i mean it's all due respect to the research agencies at that point but that is what i'm thinking in the 1990s they would have asked the question and that led me to think about one point that in quantum physics there is a effect called the observer's effect which says that it's a theory that the mere observation of a phenomenon inevitably changes the phenomenon right so if you apply that analogy to research that means that by the process of asking a question you are actually instrumental impacting the response that you're getting that means that a person may not actually respond in the way which is true to their behavior in the real sense of behavior or what they are thinking and as dr house said so eloquently everybody lies and all patient lie it's only the only variable is about what all right so inherently a respondent will lie to what you ask and it's up to the smart researcher to figure out how or what is beneath the layers and dig it out not so easy job and that's why uh, researchers had uh, existed in that practice grew in such a way wherein you can get those insights out now whether it's quant or quali this thing applies this particular thing about the methodology can impact and that is my perception and thinking about it but how do we take this forward and this is where my the question that you asked about the way of market research versus traditional means the traditional versus the current way that is possible i feel that with the whole uh, spread and the availability of data for people to use understand behaviors it is very imperative that the entire research method- methodologies change or adapt itself to something little more observational without actually infringing or putting a methodology in place which is a barrier like without the respondents understanding or knowing that they are being observed if there is a way to glean out the data that would be something which is the next wave of research that i foresee and there is a paradox we are talking about there is a privacy paradox after cambridge analytica we all saw that everybody is so hung up on privacy is so hung up on their data being shared but the same person for the want of a service or if there is a service that is very 
close to that person or he likes it he is more than willing to share as much data as possible whether it's on tinder or whether it's on facebook or I means it's so ironical that something which used to be in your diary a personal diary which you would kill somebody if somebody reads your personal diary now it is there for everybody to actually see the same thing and everybody gets gets their kick out of it now that particular thing is that human tendency is so important for the next wave of communication planning i would call it or the next wave of inside generation as you may call a strategic planning is that how do you see beyond what is being said because somebody may post a selfie saying i'm having a good time but the person is actually not how do you cut through the layer and get one level deeper and yet manage this privacy issue where you're not getting the data to be compromising their personal info that's a very fine balance and i feel that the next wave will sort of arrive in a balance of these two and it is highly critical that the data is not sort of this whole process of assimilating data is not thrown down the drain just because of this whole uh, privacy issues that are cropping up because that itself is magical in the way that people are willing to give the data now it's up to us to use it ethically in a way that makes sense without actually compromising the privacy now that is a fine balance has not yet happened and that's why uh, we are all in the state wherein we are figuring out ways where first party data is now becoming the gold standard of actually owning but imagine this if every company wants to own their first party data then the amount of investment required by even smaller companies is they will never be able to come up to the levels of probably a unilever or a png to actually get their markets out so in a way it is this whole movement towards first party data is also contrary to the monopolistic tendencies of actually equal competition so it's a fine balance which i think the industry has to play and i'm pretty sure that in the next few years it will find its own sweet balance and where the privacy versus actually the personalization equivalent of data wherein the payoff versus privacy rather is much more easily defined and much more easily acceptable by the industry and on this note i can tell you about one simple case that we have done very recently for a brand that targets mothers and it is that typically conventional market research would do copy testing would do its uh, standard process it will take some time and you have to prep for it and it's a very robust technique available in the market now we had this brand and they had 11 different claims to be tested and because the product was new there was a new formulation and it had a lot of layers uh, of npd uh, that has gone into it and they wanted uh, to arrive at uh, a certain okay which claim will work amongst our target audience so what we recommended is from the thought that i was just speaking about that instead of you going and doing a research and showing it and asking people to respond to it why don't we set up the experiment in such a way we run it like a standard media campaign a standard programmatic campaign a standard digital campaign if you may and run it like that and observe how people react to those different messages through the usual digital metrics whether it's ctr cpv and so on and so forth and measure it and bring them see their behavior on site be see their behavior on banners see their behavior on a post uh, when they exit or whether they are clicking on the call to action and all and this experimental setup which is not the full fledged campaign but 
for the consumer they don't know that it is not a actual launch and they are a part of the of the design which is a very conventional way of doing it but the only difference here is that i am not asking them anything i'm not even they don't know that they are in part of this experiment slightly weird but if you look at it the results were so eye opening that we could figure out that we don't actually have to choose one or two we ultimately chose five right now this also goes against a traditional uh, planning where you would say that you know there has to be one usp one you know selling point but no we are living in the age of segment of one it's not market segmentation where i'm talking to one full audience we are living in a segment of one but i actually i can say that sorov receives a message which is personalized to him and i get a message which is personalized to me and i react to it accordingly so based on the thought the top 5 that came out both in the engagement scores and the brand saliency scores and the conversion scores all of them were tabulated and we ran the campaign and the product is a huge hit the sales uh, topped all the launches that they have ever done and this was all done via so called programmatic reverse engineering a programmatic uh, campaign to instead of running a programmatic campaign to get more consumers we are using consumers to use the programmatic campaign to get insights and to make us more aware of what would work and what would not work in different kind of audiences so that is just one example and that is something that i am guessing is something which eventually would become quite mainstream in the coming days in terms of solutions that are being offered by agencies and research agencies and so on and so forth You're so right Rama what I've learned I think from this brief explanation that you've given is I think probably researchers within market research industry are too caught up in a process let's do qualitative first then let's go and you know do a survey then I think somebody would analyze the data then I'll read those numbers I'll write a report I'll deliver a presentation and I think this is what like actually the tech world would call as the waterfall approach it's very linear it's sequential but i think you know the moment you start focusing on that process it just sucks out the experience part of it and i think what i've learned from you today is i mean if research has to evolve and it has to remain relevant i think it'll have to become more experiential it'll have to simulate you know how businesses operate you know it just can't anymore you know set outside the fence you know follow a very laborious process and i think by the time you deliver that data i think the relevance of that data is almost finished so i think that's a very exciting thought that how market research industry can reinvent itself through using a lot of simulation techniques using a lot of gamification techniques and i think you know delivering the experience that a cmo just might feel and you know can sort of you know connect with and i think that sort of very beautifully segues into the next segment that i have and that's about your work because i think what i've learned about you know you and your organization i think you are doing some pretty cool experiential marketing kind of projects where i you know where i think you are using augmented reality and virtual reality as your key tools now ar vr i think we all know i, I mean we've all seen that technology for last 5 to 10 years we we've seen people talking about it but apparently the adoption of that technology within marketing industry has been quite slow so help us understand what exactly you do how do you design those experiential marketing campaigns using ar vr and why you are so bullish on these two tech products yes thank you i think in terms of experiential marketing this is is one of the services that we offer at entropia because 
as I said, that it is an integrated approach and we are in the region, we offer, a f- we call ourselves a full stack communication agency. So we offer the full stack in the marketing communication value chain. You can pick and choose a la carte also, or you can take the whole thing, which we would highly recommend. And in that, one of the features or one of the services that you were just referring to is what we call the extended reality service. And this is something that we are very bullish on for multiple reasons. And again, I think I'll have to probably take you back to one story, which again goes back to my engineering days. I'm a mechanical engineer, so I used to do machine drawing. Okay. And in 1996, seven and eight, there was, it was all paper and pencil. And we used to draw cross sections of two stroke engines, three, you know, four stroke engines, and so many other things. Now, for somebody like me, I would say fairly okay with it because I could imagine an isometric view. I can imagine how a cut cutaway section would look like, but I could sense that there were many who couldn't imagine it so easily. And there were some who were brilliant at it. They could just get it. Cut to the launch of AutoCAD, where for those who don't know, this was the first software that came in where they could uh, you could draw it uh, on a computer, the whole machine drawing. That suddenly gave it a view that, oh, okay, you can draw an object in 3D and turn it around and see it and understand it. Then came 3D modeling uh, on videos. So the two-stroke, four-stroke engines that I learned, if I take that example, and after YouTube came in, I could see how people have uploaded two-stroke the combustion, the way that the engine engine works in a video, frankly, I was so shocked and so amazed that what I learned then, I probably missed half of it. By just watching that video, I could understand it much more than almost one year of machine drawing. Okay. That was the impact a visual medium can bring to something as fundamental as engineering itself. And that is what is we are living at that cusp wherein this technology, okay, or this experience of virtual and augmented reality or mixed reality, or it's all under one umbrella, which we refer to in the industry as extended reality, is able to bring. It's able to bring in the visual aspect, the experiential aspect of something much more closer to you where the retention goes up significantly and you're able to understand the concept much more significantly. Now, how does that relate to marketing? Yes, that's a fundamental question that we are trying to answer. In marketing, it is about brands being able to use the technology to tell the story in a much more immersive way. The adoption of this technology has been low till last uh, few years that it has been in. But that's also because of the availability of headsets where you experience it or VR sets as it's called. But now with mobile phone and almost every company, whether it's Apple, Google or Facebook, getting heavily invested into investing into augmented reality and experiential reality from an R&D perspective and into the phones, This particular technology now is available in everybody's hands to experience. And I'll give you one example, the same example of a four-stroke engine. Now, if I want to see how my car's engine is working, and if I want to teach somebody, I don't have to even watch a video. I can just flip open the phone and actually take a walk inside the engine right through my phone. And that is what is the power of that particular technology where you can bring 
concepts, simplify concepts, explain complex uh, relationships, explain complex concepts to people in a simple way where they are, it's almost like a DIY for things. And the we are scratching the surface of it. We are right now an industry which is, is at a steep exponential rising curve at the moment, wherein every industry is latching onto it and they're experimenting with it, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's education, whether it's categories like property and marketing, as I was saying, where you can get the stories out. But one of the key driving factors over this means last four years, I would say the tipping point has reached because of COVID-19, where people have been cooped up inside, marketers have not been able to do their physical activations. So that made them understand that this is something that can be done. And that is sort of suddenly, I have also seen in my business, the kind of requests that are coming in during this uh, whole lockdown period is phenomenal. People are asking, how can I do a virtual uh, event? How can I do a virtual activation? How can I launch a product without an actual PR uh, standard traditional PR launch? How do I tell the product story uh, without shoot? Because you couldn't do shoots in Malaysia. At least we have started shooting now, thankfully, but uh, you couldn't do shoots uh, in the for almost three months. So how do you actually bring it to life? And that's where an extended reality, augmented reality would come into free. And we just launched, we just launched a BMW car on augmented reality because people couldn't go to a showroom. So we said that, okay, let's put it on your browser, a mobile phone browser and using web AR, it's called web AR, web-based augmented reality. Uh, you don't have to download an app, use the browser and bring the car to your home and browse the features, look into it and click to buy or click to test drive rather. And that's how we did it. And this kind of changes sort of makes me very, the demand makes me bullish on this whole thing. And this area in my mind is already sort of will take marketing and brand communication. The impact would be almost similar to how probably from a radio to a TV shift had happened or from TV to a digital shift had happened. This would be that particular shift wherein a device that is on everybody's hands becomes an experiential portal to walk in to your brand and give them the reason to actually use your brand more and be a part of their life rather than a push down communication as one of the thoughts. So that's how I feel that this all plugs into the overall marketing communication and builds a layer, a much more deeper connection between the consumer and the brand. And this is, think about it this way, from all the insight that we generate and all the thoughts that we bring in to our marketing plans, the most conventional way of actually telling that plan just a few years ago was to make a TVC, all right? You'll make a TVC and you will pass it on, send it to the consumers to get engaged with it, understand the brand story and ultimately uh, change their uh, perception about the brand or make them pick up a product. But now you have the unique opportunity, make a living and a breathing commercial, which always stays in their palm of the hands, wherein you don't need to just be one way push down communication, but it is a much more interactive experience where they feel that this is worthwhile of their time. So that's how I feel about it. This is very interesting, Rama. I think you use the word full stack communication agency. Full stack is a very technology led term, right? I have to ask this question to you. What proportion of your staff size are technologists? Because I think that's very interesting shift. I think in, a, in actually a typical creative firm, we would see a lot of account servicing folks. We would see a lot of creative folks. 
who would constitute majority of staff strength in your business what proportion of your staff strength are technologists well i would like to believe that we are everyone is a technologist in our firm <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yes i think our investment into technology already i think about 30% of our employees are hardcore technologists already wow. and uh, it's a growing number because it is something that we are very serious about and we have been investing heavily into it over the last 4 uh, years of our existence and across the region actually so whether it's in philippines or singapore we are investing in these and that is the area where we feel that the next wave of uh, differentiation will come in and we are in the market in malaysia our growth from from a startup to now almost uh, we are one of the largest agencies in malaysia is because of that relentless focus towards providing the full stack as you said and we use the term very uh, with consciously understanding that this is a technology term and we offer it with full conviction that we do have we are based out of technology and we use data and we use insights to to provide a full stack solution to the clients for all their brand needs rama i think the future is very exciting what i've heard today is that i think technology will be leveraged in many 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 different ways across different industries and i think for me i think this is the most exciting part of our discussion thank you so much for sharing lovely insights with us sharing some very personal stories and also enlightening us on why you are so bullish on ar and vr thank you so much for doing this thank you so much for being on our show you have a good evening thank you very much sarav it was a pleasure you've been listening to recast with me sarav sardana if you like what you heard subscribe to our show on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen Don't forget to leave a review and rating on your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode in next 2 weeks. Also if you want to chat with me, connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter.